In the name of the God of creation, who loves us all. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to the cathedral on this first Sunday of Advent as we begin a new year in our liturgical calendar. Advent's a time of expectant waiting and preparation, and it offers for those of us gathered as the body of Christ an opportunity to share in the anticipation of the nativity of Jesus and to be alert for his return. Well, today's readings, of course, seem to take on heightened meaning, don't they, given the uncertainty of our times. These only add to our anxiety about the present and our wish to know what the future might bring. How can we be prepared? What are the signs of today that carry the seeds of what may be tomorrow? And perhaps at the heart of this, for many of us, what is and what isn't under our control? Of course, businesses and governments, educational institutions, including the one where I teach, hire consultants to try to predict what is to come, offer their best advice on how to prepare for it. As Christians, we know that chronos, or sequential chronological calendar time, and kairos, which is sacred time under the aspect of eternity, aren't really the same thing at all. It's the former with which we're often confronted in this busy, hectic season, and the latter with which our liturgical season of Advent is really all about. Sometimes in our cultural chronological anxiety, we get things backwards, don't we? I know I do. We may be tempted to begin Christmas right after Halloween, and we confuse Advent with Christmas, which is in a way like skipping from Palm Sunday to Easter without going through Holy Week. We forget to wait and pay attention, and we risk losing the only moment that we have, which is, after all, this moment, here and now. And we're all vulnerable to this. This is so human. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Peanuts comic strips. Picture Linus and Lucy standing at the window looking out at the rain falling and Lucy says to Linus, boy, look at it rain. Linus, what if it floods the whole earth? And Linus, who's the resident biblical scholar for the Peanuts gang, answers, Lucy, it'll never do that because in the ninth chapter of Genesis, remember God promised Noah that would never happen again. And every time we see a rainbow, it's a reminder of that promise. With a smile on her face, Lucy says, Linus, you've taken a great load off my mind. To which Linus responds, you know, Lucy, sound Theology has a way of doing that. So the sound theology, the placing in context of the scriptures, 
of the church can help ease our anxieties and it can also help us to think about hope and waiting and especially I think about what we can and cannot control. We need not worry unnecessarily, but we do have some responsibility to watch and wait and hope and pray and to work for justice and peace. That's the advent we observe beginning today. Well, scholars call passages like this one from Mark in our gospel for this morning, apocalyptic literature. It was a style of writing that used vivid and striking images to convey a message of hope and faith during difficult times. It was often used, especially during times when God's people were oppressed. The book of Revelation, for example, was written at a time around the end of the first century when Christians were being persecuted by Rome, and John, who wrote it, was on the Isle of Patmos, exiled by the Romans because he refused to give up his faith and to deny it. So he writes to his suffering churches using the words and images that he understood and his readers would understand, but the enemy would not. It was a kind of code, really. When you put it all together, friends, it's almost like saying, no matter how bad things look, don't give up. Hang in there. God's in control. So watch and work and stay prayerful and steadfast. God is with us here and now and is coming again. That's Kairos time. That's Advent time. It's so human to get confused and our anxiety about the future may bring, especially in a season of pandemic like the one we are in now. In fact, during these times, many can, play, can claim to know more about it than they really can know and to have more control than they can have. I don't know about you all, but I'm wary of any religious claims that promise more than Jesus himself said he knew. As is often the case, there's a wonderfully inclusive both and about Advent. And I think it can assist us all in this season of our lives. Well, when I was a young boy, I would visit my grandfather's hardware store and lumberyard in his small town in middle Georgia. It was at a different time and place then. Deeply agricultural country. I loved my grandfather so much and I enjoyed being with him in his world. In his office, he had a big roll top desk, the old fashioned kind with endless cubby holes and secret compartments and drawers full of mysteries, the key to which only he held. The desk was up against a wall between his office and a kind of liminal and transitional space, perched in the threshold between the cotton gin with its powerful, noisy machinery and the lumberyard, and beyond that, the whole wide, magical, mysterious world 
From there, I could watch the cotton being ginned, and I was safe from the huge roving vacuum funnel and the dark, foreboding tentacles of the machines that I was sure would like nothing better than to snatch a small boy and incorporate him into the next bale of hay or cotton. In the other direction outside the office, I could see the trucks come and go and watch my grandfather as he moved with gracious authority in his domain, helping his customers, writing invoices, giving patient instruction to his employees. Sparrows chirped high in the rafters on the hottest summer days. A cool breeze seemed always to be blowing through this vestibule where I waited and watched and paid attention. On special days, a train would pull into the yard and on a line running from Atlanta to Macon and then on to Savannah. The train would stay only long enough for its cars to be filled with lumber and building supplies and in season bales of cotton or hay. And one magical day, I watched the train being loaded as it prepared to leave the yard. And I noticed that the train didn't simply leave moving forward straight away. Instead, the engine backed up until each car had re-engaged the one behind it in a raucous cacophony of screeching and banging and crashing metal joints. I said to my grandfather, Pop, why does the train back up first instead of leaving the station? Son, he said, that's a very good question. You sit here for a few minutes and think about it, and I suspect that when I get back, you might have figured it out. In rabbinical fashion, Pop was always on the lookout for teachable moments and was not prone to miss them by too quickly answering a young boy's questions. Kind of like Jesus teaching us to watch and wait and pay attention. So I did as I was told. I watched and waited as the train backed up, each car banging in succession into the one behind it until finally the engine began to move ever so slowly forward, creeping, creeping, with each car beginning with the first one behind the engine, one car at a time. And then I saw it all at once. And the present and the future merged in a synesthesia of already and not yet in train time. The train backed up so that when time came to leave the station, the engine did not have to pull the entire train all at once. But rather, as it gathered speed, pulled first one, then another, and so on until finally all of the cars were headed south towards Macon and Savannah and points unknown and the whole wide, wonderful, mysterious world. When my grandfather returned, he smiled and gently asked me if I had answered my own question. 
I think so, I said. The train backs up first because that way it doesn't have to pull all the cars at once. It can just start with the first car first. Very good, son, he said. And then he said with a twinkle in his eye, I think you'll find that life can be like that sometimes too. We start with the first car and we don't need to worry about pulling them all at one time. For those of us who are members of Christ's body in this holy cathedral, dear ones, the season of Advent affords the opportunity to begin again with hope on the next leg of our journey in faith. This is the first car in the train of our liturgical year. It's a time to think about the future by paying attention to what is here and now in this moment. In Mark's Gospel, he writes of a time when signs suggest that a new age is coming. The reading ends with the sprouting of a fig leaf as a sign of an upcoming summer, a season of growth and life that springs forth and is in stark contrast to winter. Yes, these days as I run in the woods, now almost winter-like in appearance, I'm reminded that the tender green buds of the leaves that will adorn these same trees in the spring are already there, just visible to the eye upon closer inspection. Indeed, it's that gentle push of these new leaves that causes the autumn leaves to let go. The prevailing cultural narrative, my friends, in this season makes it so hard for us to wait, and we are so often in a hurry. And I'm among those who struggle with this, often finding I just have too much on my plate. In Spanish, the verb esperar means both to hope and to wait. And a gardener friend of mine tells me that the esperanza plant flourishes even in the most harsh conditions and blooms in gold and orange, a hopeful waiting indeed. So waiting in silence, creating sacred space in your life for hope to grow and compassion to blossom is a practice that each one of us can cultivate in this season of Advent. So, I invite you to find a vantage point somewhere in the midst of things from which you might watch and wait and prepare. Advent, not unlike its cousin Lent, is a time for reflection, preparation, and waiting in anticipation of Emmanuel, God with us, here and now and always. Alleluia. Amen.